0: welcome to a new edition of the neon jazz interview series with jazz vibraphonist and composer cecilia smith she is proud to announce the release of her 2023 album called volume one small ensemble repertoire the new album honoring nea american masterpiece award-winning mary lou williams on the resurgence project cecilia is a leading vibraphonist of the four mallet technique and an avid composer and arranger with six albums as a leader to her own credit she has recorded and performed with gary bartz milt hinton randy weston Marion McPartland, donald harrison greg osby the list goes on and on and on she is a wonderful confident intelligent and a very skilled jazz musician enjoy this interview
1: Meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it.
0: Well,
2: you're very you're my very first interview.
1: Oh, good, good, good. Well, let's get into it. And <laughs> what I'd like to do is start off with before we get into your album. I'm a huge fan of the vibe. so I just want to put that out up front. It's it's a, it's a favorite around here at Neon Jazz. I want to know how you survived COVID. You know, it really did a a, a, a deed on musicians around the world, and I'm wondering how you survived it and how relieving it is to have an album coming out now with the world waking up.
2: Well, COVID was quite good to me musically. It actually kind of blew me away because um, I, you know, I'm sure you know that I have not put out a record in a long time. And so um, one of my neighbors is um, pianist Lafayette Harris. And he, asked me during, we used to have coffee together, a lot of coffee. I live in the Park Slope section of Brooklyn, and there's a lot of coffee shops around here. And so he invited me to come play at his house. He had turned um, part of his house into a studio, and he had been doing a lot of things online. And um, he said, you know, come down and do some duets with me. And I was like, ah, you know, vibes are hard to move and you know and i said i said what are you doing down there because i had not been invited to play on any online site and so i went to his house he had lights cameras steinway grand and he said and i'll get my teenage sons to help you move your vibes down the street and so we did that that was march 2021 and we got a lot of he had his own youtube site and TikTok and we got a lot of attention and several presenters, you know, contacted me and said, We can't do anything during COVID. You know, one said, Can I buy that footage that you and Lafayette just put out? I was like, Sure. He said she said, Then I'd like to go after a few grants that are out there um called digital residencies that they're putting together through Chamber of Music America and and I'd like to invite some of my You know, presenter friends who I've done consortium work with, it was on. And so, since two, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Oh,
2: okay. Since then, um, we have been doing different online residency presentations. um, And then I got some larger grants. Um and since a lot of I I do have teaching hours um I don't know if you know that I'm a teaching artist and um a lot of stuff was wiped out I was able to retain some of my work online um but it actually revitalized my playing in this type of online presentation and it's it it's been great <laughs> So great. um so But I have to say, you know, even with that greatness, you know, I know a lot of people have passed away, you know, and and New York was extremely hit uh, during COVID. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about it that, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, would I have had this revitalization of my my work, you know, so it's kind of weird. So, in answer to your question, that's what has been happening, and... um, so yeah, um I'm, I'm I'm not sure if that really answers your question. There was a second part of your question. How does it feel to have a record coming out at this time? <laughs> um it feels great because um like I said, I've had I've not had a recording out in many years. Uh I have to say the Chamber of Music of America has been incredibly good to me. I went after several grants and um one with a project grant. One of the uh the the people who work in the granting office, you know, said to me, I know a lot about your Mary Lou Williams work. Why don't you go after a, a project grant to get that work recorded? And I was like, Really? And so, you know, with Chamber of Music America, um, primarily a classical organization, but they do have a lot of grants for jazz musicians. They also are like a small ensemble uh nonprofit uh arts grant uh organization and they um only do up to 10 pieces 10 uh, a 10 unit ensemble i have been investigating and researching um mary lou williams since the late 90s and so i have so much material small ensemble work choir work choir and big band um i got to know the uh person who actually was Mary Lou's manager, his name was uh, Peter O'Brien, he was a Jesuit priest who recently passed on, and um, Mary Lou willed all his her work to him, and um, he turned it over to Rutgers University's uh, Jazz Institute, which is a research library uh, on the Newark uh, campus of uh, Rutgers University. I was shocked at what was up there, I, you know, Mary Lou Williams doesn't get a lot of Attention, not the attention that I believe that she should be getting. I have been looking to record this work for for many years because I have so much of it, and I was able to really expand upon the work. And um, so, you know, after all these years to be able to record the work, oh, my goodness, it's it's like a dream that I didn't think was going to happen. So um, I'm very excited uh, to be able to present the work and we didn't just regurgitate the work. I mean, because I've been working on these materials for so long, they're unique arrangements, a unique ensemble setting, um, you know, that ask, you know, I want to answer the question: What if Mary Lou Williams were, you know, here today? How would she present this work? You know, and so I, there's thoughts and understanding around. Uh, thoughts and research uh, around every piece of music that is on that on that record, and um, so I'm I'm very uh, very excited about it. Um, Tammy Carnoto, um, who is a musicologist, did our liner notes, who did an incredible job. You know, you wonder who's going to read the liner notes, but oh, people read them, you know. So, but also, we also have a spoken word uh, piece on there that we used uh Sheila Anderson is a radio programmer for WBGO uh which is you know New York's premier jazz radio station um where Tammy wrote a piece that answers the question who is Mary Lou Williams because i'm sure people you know unless you're a jazz aficionado you may not know who Mary Lou Williams is and if you're like most people these days they're not buying hard you know hard CDs, you know, they're buying everything offline, they're not necessarily going to read those liner notes, so I thought it was important that we have a piece on there, um, that we play music behind while somebody does this narrative on who Mary Lou Williams, you know, who she was, why she's important, and um, why I dedicated this work to her.
1: That's wonderful. So, how did your journey into jazz, and more specifically the vibes,
2: how did all that take place? Well, um, I'm from the Midwest. Um, I'm from uh, Cleveland, specifically, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And I uh, started playing piano, me and my uh, twin sister. Uh, we played, uh, we we started playing piano when we were eight. I mean, our parents uh, have, there's five of us, and everybody took some form of music lessons. So um started playing piano when I was eight got very interested in the drums when I was around 11 or 12. Um, In Cleveland Heights, uh, the the school system there has an incredible music uh, education component. And so by the time I got to uh, junior high, high school, um, I was... Able to play drums, uh, not only we had, you know, we had yeah, marching band, concert band, symphonic band, orchestra, which you know we used to tour. I mean, these were like really, you know, everybody had taken lessons for so long, and most people studied with members of the Cleveland Symphony, and um, we also had a jazz ensemble, and then, a, you know, two jazz ensembles actually, and I played drums in each, but. I had actually studied to become a classical percussionist. So I played timpani, you know, xylophone, glockenspiel, um, and in the jazz ensembles I'd, I'd play both vibes and, and drums. And I think I knew since I was about 14, 15 that I wanted to be a professional musician and so I geared my life towards that. But my piano lesson, I mean, my piano teacher, Earl Todd, uh, who's also since passed away, um, he said, I want to try you out on some jazz. I'm going to get you some records. I want you to start listening and seeing, you know, what you think about this music. And so um, I was like, oh, okay. I said, but my dad listened to jazz. I mean, you know, we had Ella Fitzgerald's records, Miles Davis, but he listened to everything. He listened to R&B. and um, But the idea of improvisation, um, to be able to f- play what you feel and tell stories, I, you know, I was just, so fascinated by that aspect of, of playing music. Um, I, I, I can say that I was a pretty music-obsessed uh, teenager. I mean, for uh, Christmas, you know, we had to fill out a list, and we did budgets. We got between $50 to $100 for, uh, to buy toys or clothes or whatever it is we were into, and so I would have a list of recordings that I wanted my folks to buy and my mother's like, you just have records here. You know, you want any clothes? How about some shoes? You know, whereas that, you know, my brother was buying Hot Wheels cars. You know, <laughs> I don't even know if they do Hot Wheels anymore. But, and my younger yeah. sister were buying doll babies. But I wanted these records, you know. So, you know, I geared my life towards that. And then, you know, my teacher introduced me to Berkeley College of Music. Um,. Which I mean it the Berkeley's pretty hot right now, it was hot back then, but it's not was really not most of my friends who were majoring in music they were going to classical based schools, but I wanted to go to this particular school um Gary Burton was teaching there at the time, and I won and I was fascinated with four-mallet playing, which you know you can't really get unless you can study with somebody with that, and so that that's the root of it all, um. I'm not sure yeah. if that answers your questioning oh, completely, but yeah, no, you did. No,
1: no, that's good. So, who was the who was the first person you saw at a concert playing the vibes live that you just were mesmerized or you loved?
2: Oh, the first person who I saw, hmm, I believe I forgot this guy that he was playing with um, Roberta Flack, and I can't even remember his name. Um but I will say this. When I got to Berkeley I had not really declared what instrument was going to be my major. It was either going to be piano drums or vibes. Um and the percussion department did a concert um uh, of just vibes that was done by their the faculty. And um was Ed Sandin, Ted Wolf, Michael Hatfield. Uh, I think Gary Burton probably came in and played one. Um, and I was completely blown away by four mallet technique. I just couldn't believe that you could do all that with four mallets. I, I was playing with two mallets. And um, that's what sold me on declaring that major a vibraphone, you know, with the emphasis on four mallets. Um my record collection, you know, uh Crystal Silence, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that record with Gary Burton and Chick Corea. Classic yes. four mallet piano duet playing and Milt J uh Modern Jazz Quartet, Last Quartet. I had several Bobby Hutcherson recordings. Um I was very clear on the difference in improvisational thoughts that those three players, Gary Burton, um, Bobby Hutchison, and Milt Jackson, their unique styles and what they brought to the table in terms of improvisation. And so, you know, I'm an African American female, you know, I, I, I wanted to encompass both you know, straight-ahead jazz and four-mallet technique uh, in my playing, and that has always been my goal—to be able to 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 play on a high level. You know, um, good improvisation, and not that one place better than the other. You know, we live in a country that's obsessed by lots. You know, if you see, if you got a lot of money, you got a lot of this, and you got a lot of that, you must have something going on. So, if you got a lot of mallets in your hand and you're playing, you know, with all these mallets, you must have something special going on. Well, the bottom line is that most play, players, bi-players, um, play with two mallets. And I never want to relay the message of if you play with four mallets, you must be a better player. Well, not at all. Because, you know, Mill Jackson, Lionel Hampton, um, Bobby Hutchison, those guys are, they have tremendous minds for, you know, in terms of their improvisational thought and their processes. Um they're emotionally riveting, their intellectual intellectual approach to their lines are, you know, incredible. But I also love the idea of chordal, you know, use of being able to play the vibes, um solo vibes while playing a piece. Um and have chordal support, uh, to be able to do that. I you know. I love that aspect of, of being able to play with four mallets. And so it's always been something that, you know, um, has been part about, you know, how I present this music.
1: So let me ask you this. You've been at this for quite a while playing the music. What is it that you like the best about being a professional musician?
2: You know, I have a, a very creative mind. I, I I love sharing the artistic side of my work with the, With the public Um, I hang out with not just musicians But visual artists All my life I've had visual artists That were my friends Writers Um, the, The creative mind Has always been To me The mind that reminds society Of What makes us human How do we move people You know to get excited about this life through uh, a musical understanding. I I, I just love, I've, I've always loved that part of sharing, uh, whether it be my improvisational thoughts. I don't know if you got to look through my resume, but I also have an extensive um, background in multimedia, and I have an extensive background as a teaching artist that I've taught not only on the college level, but for an unbelievable amount of uh, human service organizations, uh, people who have disabilities have designed, you know, programs for people to, you know, figure out how people can add music to their lives, either to enhance their lives because they have certain challenges going on or um, to be able to to uniquely teach the fundamentals of music to, um, you know, People who've never had any uh, music studies, or young kids who've never had, you know, uh, music studies. So I I, I like the creative uh, aspect of my life. I, I've fought very hard. I've, I've I've never, besides the first two years out of college where I uh, substitute taught and uh, did some temporary work, I've always made my living in some type of musical um, job. Um, And, you know, you can only imagine my vibe player. Not everybody's calling me to do, you know, I'm not like a piano player. (laughs) You know, so I've always had to figure out different ways to make a living um, because I'm not a side man, you know. I don't play bass. I don't play piano. I don't play drums, you know. Um, I've been able to play with some folks, um, but uh, for the most part, you know, I have had a creative life, and I i wouldn't, you know, even you know, things would get a little thin, I, I still would look to figure out how to make a lo- living, you know, being a creative musician. So,
1: yeah. That's wonderful. So everyone out there has a perception of you. There's different pockets of people in your life, from family to friends, fans, clients, colleagues, however you want to describe it, but you ultimately live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think
2: you are? You know, I have to tell you, uh, Joe, I I, I did go through and I listened to your uh interviews. <laughs> and I knew you were gonna ask me that that You're question. Ready? I was like, I have no idea how I would answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I was like clueless. Now, um, like I said, you know, I come from a family of five kids, you know, um my mother and father's, you know, there every day. We would hear, "You need to be able to get up and do something that you love every day." You know, you need, and so if, because of that, you know, all of my my brother and my four, three sisters, you know, they've, they're tr- tremendously successful at what they do because they have figured out what drives them, and you know, now I am the oddball out. They have, you know. "Quote unquote conventional jobs," um, and so they, you know, they're like, "Oh, yes, to sing and her music." But when they come to my gigs or they see the kind of work that I do, they're like, "How do you do all that stuff?" And I was like, "Well, I wouldn't, you know," and and you know, I I don't I don't I don't know any other way to be. Um, And so I feel very fortunate that I've figured a lot of things out. And the interesting thing is, uh, with the kind of work that I do, you know, um, as a vibe player, you know, when I play, like if I play in a town and nobody knows me or they've only heard me on recording, um, I think for the first 10 or 15 minutes, people are shocked that I play this instrument and play it well. So we got to get over that first, all right? Because I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I'll do something you've probably never seen before. But let's just get down to the music, you know? So, you know, after the next 15 to 20 minutes when they can really see that I am playing, I have a message I want you to convey, I want to convey to you so that you have a moving experience, and then, you know... um, but I, I meet people who say, wow, you know, I, they just can't figure out how I figured out how to, to play so well. I mean, I'm like, well, I study like anybody else. It's, just, it's no big deal. If you study hard and, you know, and you're somewhat gifted, you can do anything well, you know, um, and have some opportunities, you know, thrown your way. Now, I also teach for a lot of human service organizations where I've designed these programs for, you know, populations that are, that are challenged. And the interesting thing about that is that most of them don't know that I have this outside life as a professional musician playing an instrument that I don't use on those jobs. And I kind of want to keep it that way because a lot of them can't figure out how I've gotten certain populations to learn and to, you know, enjoy and uh, have their lives enhanced by how I present this work. And so, I mean, you know, I believe that we should be useful every day. And so that has always been my creed. And so I try to do that, you know, anytime I'm in a working situation that I present my best self and that people walk away uh, with a creative process that has enhanced their lives. Um, You know, and that, that, you know... (laughs) You know, I, not to. I, you know, I don't want it to make it sound like you know, I just live this wonderfully creative life. Yes, I do, but it's it's hard work to to maintain that type of focus, and it's not for everybody. So, yeah. um, I don't want it to sound like you know, I have this glorious life. Well, in many ways, it is glorious, but it is filled with challenge. I mean, um, I don't know if how much you knew about my work before this last recording. Um, how long you've been around uh, If you've been around a long time You know that I've, I've put out plenty of records uh, Between the late ni- Well, early 90s Through the early part of 2000 Right before the big crash And where all the You know, the rage behind uh, Free Downloads And Napster, remember all that? Yeah What happened to jazz musicians? I was putting records out on a small label Technically, with the amount of records that I moved, I should have been able, to, been able to move to a larger label. Well, that never, that didn't happen for me. And so, um, and well, there a lot of women being signed as instrumentalists at that time. So, you know, that part of, you know, two, late 2000s, you know, up until now, you know, I had to really kind of figure out my life. And you know, if you look at my resume, I have, there's a lot of stuff listed there. <laughs> you know, and on paper it looks great, but it's it's not without its challenge. So, like I said, I don't want people to think, "Wow, you know, what a great life." You know, well, it is great, but you know, there it it is also extraordinarily challenged. Um, so, I'm 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 hoping that answers your question.
1: And it place. does. It Why? does. Yeah, no, it certainly does, Cecilia. This has been great. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for talking about the latest projects, your life, and music. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with this album and everything. As, you know, the world opens up more.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what public opinion is. That's for sure. So I appreciate you being my first interview for. Um this record that's going to be released um, in May.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Kansas City, New York City, Harlem, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Cecilia for her time, cool, and energy. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz interviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time,